Hey everybody, um, I'm Nina Crowley, SICA's Professional Affiliations Manager, and I'm here today with Dr. Sylvia Gunson-Bully, who is uh, colorful as always, and we're actually <laughs> matching. We, we've done that a few times now. <laughs> I'm really excited to have a conversation with her. Um, she's got a lot of experience in the areas that I'm interested in and that are hot topics and timely right now about uh, BMI, about race and ethnicity in in the BMI categories, as well as um, some of the resources that we have in our obesity care community. So I wanted her to come on and talk to everybody about that. So thank you for coming on. Thank you, Nina. It's always a pleasure to be with you and to have these conversations. We were talking offline before we started, like how it's just so reassuring to be around like-minded people. <laughs> it is. I know. I said, we better hit record or we'll burn up our time here. Just talking. I know, right? <laughs> we were just like chit-chatting because we get so passionate every time we get together talking about it. <laughs> so yeah, so for those who don't know you, um, will you tell us a little bit about your background, how you're involved in obesity care, and then we can kind of dive into some of the topics that I think you're going to really shed some light on for our listeners. Yes, well, thank you so much. Yes, yeah, so for, if you don't know me, my name is Dr. Sylvia Gonson-Boley. I am a dual board certified internal medicine and integrative obesity medicine specialist, best-selling author, and the founder of Embrace You Weight and Wellness, where we combine self-love and personalized science to help people individually be empowered through education and get the customized tools that they need to live lighter in body, mind, and spirit. So, um, I, and how I got to this whole field though, I've, I've been in obesity medicine since 2015, I would say officially, um, and doing it full-time since 2020, August of 2020, I was doing, working in primary care, large employee primary care practice um, up until 2019 and doing about 60% internal medicine, 40% obesity medicine, but been heavily involved in the OMA since um, I've first discovered the field in 2015 and um, and then have been just going up to, through the ladder and learning more and loving learning, got boarded in obesity medicine in 2016, and then, um, and then joined the board of trustees for OMA um, just last year. Um, and but combining the personal with the professional, I feel like, I don't know, I'm like, how did I end up just giving y'all my whole CV? <laughs> was not you did it, and you've got your, yeah. your diplomas behind you in your book. It's very, <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm right like on it. Dr. Mo, because like, usually when I tell this story, I start with my grandma, honestly, because <laughs> that's where the story starts, where my first exposure to obesity was. Um, I saw my grandmother, who was an immigrant to the United States. She emigrated after the Liberian civil conflict. And I had known her, the mythical stories of her, this, this illustrious woman who was very independent. And I just saw the, how the complications of obesity devastated her life. And eventually she died from those complications. And so at a young age, I really developed a passion for um, understanding food, nutrition. I was in diet culture heavily and also really scared of gaining weight, right? So, um, but it wasn't when I had my own obesity experience after the birth of my child that I really learned that everything I had learned in diet culture, the calories in versus calories out approach was 
ineffective. And that's how um, I came about learning about the true real science of obesity medicine, which I did not learn in med school because it wasn't even a disease in 2010. And um, so it's been fascinating to just see how our knowledge and understanding of this complex disease has evolved. And especially when it comes to BMI, interestingly enough, in residency, I did two um, projects on BMI. And I'm like, well, I, I dug these up and I was like, oh my gosh, full circle moment. So like, you know how you think you don't realize you're actually thinking about something. So I did one talking about the limitations of BMI. This was when okay. I did something with health and human services. I'm telling you, I, I found this. I was like 2012, I wrote this. And then, <laughs> then for our senior um, primary care, project, we actually looked at BMI and accuracy in females in our residency clinic. I was like, go figure, look at me, pat on the back. <laughs> so into your future. So I'm excited about this conversation because I feel the seeds have been there for years, you know? Well, yeah. And I think, you know, one of the, the first ways that I, you know, got to know you is and maybe others have too, is publicly when you had some tweets about BMI and that really, you know, led to an article and a relationship, I think, for you writing for uh, Medscape, is it? And, yes. and that was really, I mean, that's what we're talking about is getting out this information to the general public, to the people who are affected by obesity. Um, so yeah, tell me a little bit about that. And then maybe kind of we can jump into the recent stuff with AMA. Yeah. So actually, I mean, before I even started writing for Medscape, when I wrote my book, the second chapter in the book is um, release the BMI says I need to weigh because every chapter mm -hmm. starts with the mindset shift. So it's it's a public facing book, but it's evidence based. Right. And so I wanted the public to know because over and over again, I hear from so many people, especially women, especially Black women, marginalized communities, like, okay, I went to the doctor, they told me I need to weigh this, and I don't think so, or mm -hmm. that BMI says that, and, and it can be very offsetting when you're trying to set health goals with people, so I knew when I wrote my book, I wanted to talk about what is a healthy weight beyond the BMI, so I spelt out all the limitations of the body mass index there, and then proposed another way of looking at healthy weight versus what I call happy weight. Because I think if we can separate people, how people feel about themselves and let them know, like clinically, when we assess your metabolic risk factors and we're talking about weight as one of those factors, we're not even, we're not checking. I'm from Atlanta, so we would say, we're not checking for how you look, okay? So we're not thinking about how you look. You, only you decide your happy weight, but from a healthy weight perspective, and we need to go beyond and look deeper to other factors. I love that too, because I think a lot of times when people hear this, okay, BMI is out. Well, what do we do? Mm -hmm. It's very, I mean, we're just in general, very black and white and it comes mm -hmm. to like all or nothing thinking. And so I know that, you know, amongst the healthcare community, it's not going to be all or nothing. It's going to be a slow phase out and all of that. But I do love the the way that you do talk about healthy weight, happy weight. I love the, you know, kind of thinking about it's not it's not just telling someone here's what you should be or what you should do. It's really taking all of those factors. And I love the way you frame that. So definitely recommend um, recommend your book and your work to, to everybody that I talk to. 
Thank you. And again, so in Medscape, you know, I kind of propose, is it time for us to leave behind um, BMI um, or when do we stop using? So the question isn't to me, like if we're going to stop is when do we, and then what is the future ahead of that? And who that created a firestorm. I just stopped reading the comments because there were some <laughs> nasty comments there. There were some like, yeah, this is great. This is what we think about. I mean, to me, what enters in this conversation is the presence of weight bias, right? Because I think, and this is what, again, being a person who has personally experienced obesity, not just in my own body, but in my community and in the people around me, I think this is where this intersection of how we move forward. People want weight management to be easy, I think. It's just, okay, it's calories in versus calories out. You either, you know, weigh this much and you're unhealthy or you're not. So when we then introduce another level of thinking and another level of thought that isn't so simple, I think that implicit bias that's there that it needs to be easy just gets really triggered. Yeah. And it makes people want this sole cause responsibility. Like, oh, mm -hmm. you're this weight because of this. And if that's the way you got there, then that's the way you get out of it. And we know that there's so many different, you know, pathways and and versions of this for everybody. So, yeah. So how did you feel then after um, hearing? I mean, I know you've been part of all this, but with the AMA kind of coming out and talking about their new policy and, and sort of um, I forget the language they used exactly, but saying, you know, BMI can be considered a racist and the historical background is not using um, in a, you know, a big enough population to, to really prescribe this to all kind of hit on all of these limitations that we've been talking about. Yeah. And, you know, so a couple of things. So I'm not an AMA and I wasn't a part of that decision making. I know some people who were I'm a part of OMA, Obesity Medicine Association, which is the largest organization for clinical obesity experts. Um, so I wasn't a part of that. And I think um, I'm excited that AMA, which is the largest organization for physicians um, is recognizing this. I do want to say to AMA's credit in some ways, though, even when obesity was initially made a disease back in 2013, BMI wasn't it was a part of the diagnostic tools, but it wasn't the sole one. They are they talked about waist circumference even then, right? And in that document highlighted some of the limitations of BMI. I do believe this is also part of their decision. There's There's been so many articles on this from the public. There's almost a backlash from the general public about BMI. So we're almost at a crossroad where we really need to define this in better terms to be able to best serve people. So they highlighted the fact that, which we all know historically, that BMI First of all, its inception was in a very homogenous group of people. A few people know that, it, you know, in it, the origin of the calculation comes from um, Dr. Adolphus Quintlet, who was not a physician, but an anthropologist and a mathematician, and he was Belgian, and he's the one who... Um, found this calculation. It wasn't really intended for medical use, but fast forward, Dr. Ansel Keys, who is an American physiologist and, and kind of the father of like K-ration, some of our modern nutrition, he wanted to make sure that there was a standardized ways to address 
the um, misuse of life tables in the insurance industry. But again, a lot of the standards that were set using this calculation of BMI, people don't know, is kilograms divided by meters square. It was done, these standards were set using white men, right? Those were the main people from the, the life tables. So what we found is from the fundamental part of the calculation, which is that it only measures total body weight and not determining adiposity or body fat, that it is, um, that that's one fundamental flaw. And then it's not taking in what we see as large population variations, that certain populations have more lean muscle mass at a given weight, or certain populations um, tend to have more fat, and that's not associated with disease and or where the fat is located. Location. Cutaneous versus visceral or heart fat. So these are the kind of things that we are seeing. And the AMA does kind of talk about that in this document as well. But as we were talking about ahead of time, like even before they came out with this, the Obesity Medicine Association, we've been putting out literature, um, clinical practice statements, roundtable discussions. I just gave a talk on this very topic um, beyond BMI, how do we clinically individualize our obesity treatment? I gave this talk in um, April at our national conference before those guidelines come out because we see this every day. I, again, I can't emphasize it. We, we know that we're not treating populations. We're treating that person, that individual that's in front of us. Well, and I think it's nice too to, to kind of go from here's what we know here's what the evidence says to really mm -hmm. moving more towards actual like practice implications, right? So, you yes. know, coming up with, okay, if we're not going to use this anymore, what are we going to use? And I think, you know, there's been a lot of conversations that I've, I've been excited to hear about body composition and how we're going to measure that. And, you know, we've got to make sure that, you know, we've, people have hung on to BMI for so long because it was cheap and easy to use. And, um, you know, we know that it has to be something that's screening, something that's like easy to do for the masses. But then once we get past that, we need to have something that, that is uh, clinically applicable, that's feasible in a you know, doctor's office, that's something that we can do. And so for me, that's been, you know, exciting where bioimpedance has been coming in to measure that body composition or assess, uh, estimate that body composition. And um, and that's been that's been great. So I do I feel like we're in a really cool and interesting time. Not only do we have new medications that are helping people in that treatment gap who didn't have options, but now we're looking at you know better metrics. And so it's yeah, I've been very excited to be reading all of this literature and and keeping up with it all. And, and sharing it, Nina, give yourself some credit. Like you, I love your LinkedIn posts and your tweets, and you just make sure that this information gets out because there's one thing, because in many ways, a lot of the information that's coming to the forefront has been out here. Like mm -hmm. I said, 2012, I was writing about this in my projects. You know, it's just now that probably we're being more vocal and we're actually talking about it. Um, you know, one thing I would like to do, I love that we're, I, I was like, can we play future? Like, can we play future for obesity care? Can we let's play do it. Because, yeah, I think that we already have some solutions. And you mentioned one like bioimpedance. A lot of us are already using that clinically when we see individuals and we see the difference that that makes. I think 
think, um, so for me, the way that I see this phase out um, going, I'm like, should I share all my secrets now? But they're really out there. And and honestly, like my goal is just to help transform the way we do medicine, right? So it's fine. So number one, like BMI is going to be around for a while, right? Because of the fact that a lot of the data that we have, because first and foremost, obesity is a young disease, right? It's just, we're celebrating the decade this year of it being recognized as a right. disease and people don't know that. So if we change the main standard, I think part of why people are scared is if we change the main standard way of screening for it, then it's like, well, this new disease, we changed the screening, nobody's like, is it really? So I think that's why we get a pushback. I'm like, let's just address, let's address that. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, so the next, so I think we would need to use specific adjusted BMI. I do use BMI clinically, but I look at some of the data from like Fatima Cody Stanford, who proposed one that's based on race, ethnicity, um, biological sex, obesity, comorbidities. There's another group out in the UK, Neville, who proposed an adjusted BMI chart based on age, which is again taking it into account those differentials in um, age-dependent lean muscle mass and changing the cutoffs based on that. There's one for Asians as well, Southeast Asians, mm -hmm. other Asian populations. So I think we'll use a specific adjusted BMI chart just as what it was intended to be, a screening threshold mm -hmm. to say, okay, you're at risk for, in, you might be at risk for excess adiposity related disease, right? So we need to know, you. we need to do further metabolic testing for you. Then a very simple tool, like people keep talking about, oh, BMI is blah, 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 but I do not see enough people using the waist circumference. Right. So I just did a um, health fair this week here. It was Juneteenth at the time of this recording. So I did, uh, finished up a, cult, a community health um, project that I was doing here. And we did culturally specific um, obesity education. And so we gave out waist measurements for everyone to measure their waist because it looked like a candy bowl, but it was really like waist <laughs> circumference. It was tape measures. But okay. um, so we gave those out to people to do that. So I think every office can get a tape measure, right? Every person for the most part can get a tape measure. And again, that's going to give you some clues because there's other things that can expand your abdominal girth, but at least by and large, we know that's heavily correlated with insulin resistance, metabolic disease, cardiovascular disease risk, and so that we should start with that. And then yes, bioimpedance, a lot of the home scales have gotten better while you can't use them regularly. And then certainly our office scales are, can be very helpful as well. Secret, like there's so many. So I think that it's an, an important tool till we can get access to DEXA scans, which is the gold standards or MRIs. And I'm not sure if we will need those as much in the future in clinical practice, but I think looking at that and then looking at people's individual um, health risk or metabolic conditions, regardless of weight, but if it's adiposity related, will be really helpful. And that's how I kind of define healthy weight. So I've given you like the four factors that I use for healthy weight, which are specific adjusted BMI, waist circumference in a non-obesity range, um, looking at 
your body fat percentage through bioimpedance is what I typically use in the clinic. And then um, last but not least, the presence or absence of having any metabolic health conditions. And then the unspoken one, but is duh, is your lifestyle. How is someone living? Are they maintaining, you know, the recommended exercise, recommended dietary intakes, and then um, living stress-free as well, reducing your stress levels? Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that all sounds like individualized, personalized care, mm -hmm. taking the person with their unique, you know, risk factors and their demographic and their, you know, anthropometric measurements and all of that and taking that and looking at the big picture and including, you know, mental health and how they're interacting in the world and how they're feeling about their, um, about their health. And I think that's really, you know, individual clinicians have been doing this, of course, for a long time. And I, I'm excited to see it kind of coming up to more of a standard of practice. And I think that's what it'll take to be more widely implemented and, and taking it out of what you all have learned and started doing and, you know, years ago in the obesity care space and pushing that out to more of the primary care colleagues who are just now seeing everybody, right? You know, if, if we're using BMI as a criteria, we've got 40% or so who have obesity by that definition and another 30% who are um, pre-obesity or, or overweight, you know, however we define that. So it's really, it's the majority of folks and we do need, you know, everybody in healthcare is really going to need to know all of this. So I think that's a unique place too for you all in obesity medicine to be able to educate everybody else on, on how to do this right. Yeah, and I think one thing to enhance off, again, I started as primary care. My background is I was a primary care resident, primary care chief resident. So, and I've worked in primary care, very high volume practice, three, 3,300 plus patient encounters a year. Wow. So I get it. And you're dealing with so much. And I think that's why, for instance, OMA is coming out with the treat or refer campaign, which mm -hmm. will help people be able to better understand how to screen and then if you know, because of the complexity of obesity, right, it's a biopsychosocial disease. It's not just um, lifestyle or one thing. So we will, so if, if you know in primary care that that's too much, then be knowing, okay, how do I phone a friend? Just like I would call a cardiologist, right? For CAD or something else that you can refer to an obesity specialist as well to help your patient get that complex care. But I think making it easy is one thing too. When you're in primary care, you have so many things to do, like you need tools that are easily accessible and, and resources to also explain to the patients as well and, and take that they can take home with them, which we are working on too through OMA. Yeah. I mean, I just think of how long it's been since 2013, really, that that past 10 years where we have been working so hard on educating folks about obesity as a disease. And that's mm -hmm. still not, you know, a hundred percent accepted and understood by everybody. So we've got some, some time and some work ahead of us. And, and I'm excited to be at this place with everybody and um, glad that we have people like you in leadership for our organization, for the OMA. And um, really, yeah, just thank you for, for your work and your advocacy and, I do want to link to some of those uh, resources. I think the OMA does a fantastic job with their clinical practice statements. I re refer to them all the time and um, and I'll, I'll link to those. And, and anything else you want to mention before before we go? 
Yeah, um, I want to. So you mentioned the OMA clinical practice statements. There's also some roundtable discussions from different experts. Um, there's one that we did talking about B, is BMI racist and sexist or sexist. And so what are and some expert opinions around that and tools and resources for that. Um, so I think to know for to the clinicians who may be watching this that we're in a new world, but don't be scared. <laughs> Don't be scared. <laughs> like there are lots of tools out there to help you. And there's lots of ex experts out there to help you. Um, and then also to the patients as well. I know this can be very confusing when we're talking and you're like, okay, well, what do I need to know? Um, I think starting back with the simple foundation of um, getting your numbers and then making sure that we are applying them to all those factors that are listed for healthy weight and then happy weight too. And your wellness is important as well. So that body, mind, spirit, wellness, and are you living a fulfilling life is also important as well. So, um, but it's an exciting time to be in this field. I'm looking forward to, I think even a year from now, the discussion will be different. And that's great because that means that we're making progress in really moving from a one size fits all approach to that individualized care that every person needs and deserves yeah well couldn't say it better myself so on that <laughs> note um thank you for your time and and i'll see you at our next meeting yeah bye everyone be sure to follow me at embrace umd and look forward to connecting yes thank you so much thank you